Plot twists. We're obsessed with them. In film, life and love, they turn up everywhere. It's that moment in a story where it takes you in an unexpected direction. I'm Tom, comedy and impressions lover. And I'm Fran, super fan of reality TV and rom-coms. And we're from now. And throughout this series, we're going to be interviewing TV and film stars, asking them all about their favourite plot twists, both on and off screen. So expect the unexpected, and hopefully some behind-the-scenes gems that you've never heard before. Contain spoilers. Obviously. Something that we really enjoy talking about, and it's a running theme with previous guests, we talk about fame, but then often related to that is the notion of fear. Mm. And actually, a lot of our guests, for example, have had imposter syndrome, which is hard to believe. But I know. And yeah. we've talked about fear of first day on set or fear of public reaction or fear of taking the wrong role. So it's funny, isn't it? The, the different interpretations, something that I might fear, you might find really exciting. Yeah, completely different. And this week, fear continues. It definitely does, because we've got Josh Hartnett, who wow. is starring in a new series called The Fear Index, which is based on the international bestseller by Robert Harris. Before we come on to the premise of the show, Josh Hartnett, what a privilege to have him on Plot Twist. Obviously burst onto the scene, the Hollywood heartthrob in the faculty, mm. And then he broke all our hearts in Pearl Harbor. Uh, mine's still broken. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but then other big films, Black Hawk Down, Lucky Number Eleven. Um, but he's very unique, actually. You know, he's taken his own career path. He's kind of taken himself away. He's gone into producing and directing, even independent films. He's very much his own man and makes his own choices. Yeah, but it's really exciting to see him come back in a new type of role because... The Fear Index is a psychological thriller and Josh Hartnett plays Dr Alex Hoffman and it follows his life over this 24-hour period. But the reason it's so interesting is because he plays this scientist who works within the financial markets and it's all about how fear drives decisions in the financial markets and the consequences of that. But ultimately, what he's created could be actually turning on him. Yeah. yeah, 24 hours is the most chaotic, fearful 24 hours of Dr. Alex Hoffman's life. Yeah, it's not just that he's created a model that's driven by fear. It's the fear of his own mind and himself. So it's a very, very interesting watch. Well, we had a sneak peek, didn't we, Fran? But mm. all episodes are out now and you definitely need to go and watch it. But it is one of those things that you are second guessing what is going to happen and, and what actually is going on. But almost fear does that in itself. I think that's the beauty is you don't know what's really going on or what's going on inside his head, but that's what makes it such a compelling watch. I mean, Josh Hartnett's a, a big Hollywood name, so we have a few nerves going in. Maybe a bit fearful ourselves, Tom. Yeah, but lots of excitement too. Very much so. Okay, well, here is Josh Hartnett on Plot Twist. Josh Arna, pleasure to have you on Plot Twist. Thank you so much for, for coming on. Thank you for having me. I, I wanted to start with... Um, I mean, I, I probably sound like a broken record with our guests, and I say this a lot, that you're quite a busy man. You've got a few big projects uh, on the go, Fear Index being your latest sort of series, a new film with Kristen and Nolan that's been announced, congratulations, and raising three young kids in lockdown. It must have been a, it's been a busy, <laughs> a busy couple of years, right? Also, a uh, Guy Ritchie movie that's about to come out as well. Yeah. I mean, we've been, we've been super busy. Three kids raising in lockdown is enough, in a way. Uh, <laughs> but I... Yeah, I mean, I've been trying to uh, balance work and life for a long time. Everybody, I think, is. And the pandemic obviously threw a big monkey wrench in everybody's plans. I feel like 
just now, someone told me it's been two years. Obviously, I knew that, but just saying two years of this is just mm-hmm. blowing my mind. That's such a long time to kind of be enduring new rules and new and always kind of in, in, living in this fear, as we, we're going to discuss mm-hmm. about uh, you know the health of our children, the health of our parents, you know, like obviously, and everyone around us, and trying to you know navigate and live a normal life, and yet here we are like you know, spending the whole day on Zoom as opposed to being face-to-face. It's a very, mm-hmm. you know, it's a time, one of those demarcation points. There's the before and there's the after. The t- time for, almost uh, gets a bit lost, doesn't it? Because you think, oh, that was a few months ago. Then it's like, oh, no, actually, no, that was two years ago. Like, oh. It's, uh... <laughs> that, yeah, two years in my life before this felt like an eternity. These last two years, I mean, I've been watching my children grow and my youngest was born just before lockdown so she's marking time by looking at her i can see her growing into a you know she's talking a little bit all that but it's aside from that it does it just feels like it's gone by in a flash it's funny you talk about the before and the after because actually at what point is this just the new normal and there isn't something that we're waiting to change again that we've just got used to things as they are really i think in the uk we're trying to uh pretend it's normal now but aren't we isn't that the deal so uh, oh yeah 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 like we're just gonna we're just gonna stop all restrictions and see what happens it's different in the states i'm heading back there tomorrow and i know that the restrictions are especially in california are much stronger what i fear is that we've got this omicron variant that isn't killing as many people as delta was or as the original coronavirus was but that something else could come along and we'd be back right back where we started. And people are so sick of living in lockdown and living, you know, a half-life that they they may not adhere to restrictions. And I don't know. It's just it is a really, really, really heightened time. And mm. and it is never going to be exactly like it was, I don't think. You you mentioned the US there. And before we talk about fear index on your show and I also want to ask you a plot twist question. I want to go a little bit different, actually, and talk about Minnesota, where you grew up and where you were born, because yeah. you mentioned California, where you do a lot of work. And I know you've been in New York and for Brits, probably Florida and those sort of destinations are typical places to visit. But talk about Minnesota, because from look, having a look on Google, it looks it looks like a hiker's paradise. It looks like a beautiful place to grow up. <laughs> it's beautiful in the summertime. Spring and fall are great, but it's winter, <laughs> I don't think anybody wants to do that. A bit chilly. And... Uh, I mean, it's mostly uh, Scandinavian people, Scandinavian descent, uh, Native American descent. And then there's in the cities, there's some Irish and German and, and uh, you know, there's it's a it's a melting pot in the cities. But it was originally back when there was the first kind of wave of settlers there uh, from Europe. It was mostly Scandinavians. And I don't know why you would leave a place like Sweden and go to a place that's even colder. <laughs> Like that, that just seems <laughs> nuts. So I think it was like the craziest of the Swedes and the Norwegians that settled in, in Minnesota. And we get down to, I think last year or the year before, like this whole time thing is really messing with us right now. It was either last winter or the year before we had a few days of negative 40, uh, which is where Fahrenheit and Celsius meet. And it's so cold that if you Jeez. throw a cup of hot coffee in the air, it turns to snow. <laughs> Wow. Uh, or hot water, you know, <laughs> boiling water in a cup, throw it in the air, and it'll turn to snow. That's where I grew up. Wow. 
And then in the summertime, it's super hot and really, uh, and there's a lot of mosquitoes, but it's, but it's gorgeous. It's really beautiful. <laughs> what a contrast. I thought the UK was cold. Yeah. I mean, that's a whole new level. <laughs> that's a different level. Yeah. yeah that... But you know, what we, what we get in the States here, what we get in Minnesota in particular is there's no milding effect from the coasts because it's so far inland and you also get uh, it's a it's very dry cold. So if you're wearing the right clothes, you're not really that that bothered. Whereas here in the UK, I feel like if the wind is going in the right direction and the rain is cold enough, yeah. you're just going to be so through. You're going to be bone yeah. cold, bone chilling <laughs> cold being out there on a hike, um, no matter what you're wearing. So I, uh, I, I it's just a different type of cold. And say, hearing that, I feel I can never complain about it being cold ever again. Like I'll just throw, <laughs> be throwing coffee in the air, and if it lands on the ground, I'll be like, take the coat off. It's basically summer. Um, exactly. <laughs> so we want yeah. to ask you our first big plot twist question. So we talk about plot twists being unexpected turns, and we see them a lot in TV and film. And what we love to ask our guests is, in your life or in your career, what has been your plot twist moment? So where something completely unexpected has happened? I mean, I've had a lot of them, but my first big plot twist moment in adult life was probably landing, having a manager ask me if I wanted to audition for a few films and TV shows because she saw me in a play and having landing to a movie and a TV show in, in Hollywood without even ever, ever sort of conceptualizing that as a life. I mean, that's changed my life entirely. It, it's just sort of that initial experience of, of making films was so foreign to me. It just wasn't something that I was attempting to be a part of, really. I didn't expect it at all. And still, 25 years later, I sort of look at it as this sort of weird hand of fate that sort of brought me into this situation. And, and in a way, has allowed me to be much more free with my choices because as much as I love it, I didn't dream of it as a child. It's not something that I was hoping to do with my life. And I'm still sort of wondering, am I an actor or am I like, am I just some guy that they, you know, put in these movies? And luckily over the years, I've been able to sort of develop a craft that I enjoy and I've been able to work with such amazing people and uh, learn so much. And I just can't believe it's been 25 years now. It's kind of mind blowing. You talk there about film being the unexpected turn. So was your original plan that you wanted to be in stage and theatre? Oh, no, I didn't want to be an actor. I went to school to be an artist. I wanted to be a painter. Oh, really? I thought I would, I thought I would be in the visual arts in some way, yeah. Oh, wow. So how did you end up on stage from wanting to be a painter? I, well, I did some theatre in high school and I did some theatre at school. I liked theatre and thought of it as a fun part of my artistic life, but I didn't think of it as a career. It was just mm. something that I enjoyed being a part of. And when someone told me that I could actually make a living being an actor, I was my kind of, my mind was blown, you know? Well, it's funny, interesting, isn't it? That, you know, if that lady hadn't seen you that day, would, you know, would you be sat here today? And it's always quite an interesting thing to kind of deliberate on, you know, would, would it have happened? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny because she's, uh, I think she's still around, still seeking out talent. <laughs> and it's, uh, it's, a, it's a weird change because what I had envisioned for myself is something that was uh, probably doesn't exist. And when you're in your teens, you, I think you have these visions of what your life could be like that probably don't really exist. And I had a sort of, I moved to New York thinking I would be in a sort of post-beat poet era Basquiat 
you know, street art sort of mm. sex pistols at the <laughs> at, at CBGB's sort of, you know, New York of, of dreams and legend. I didn't expect it. It was, you know, like a real functioning city. And I didn't really know what to make of it. I was just so young. I was, I was 17 when I moved out there. And I just thought I was going to live the life of an artist, whatever that meant. And I was going to try to do some interesting art if I could. Um, and then, you know, Hollywood came calling, I guess. And it all happened very, very quickly as well. It was such a quick sort of it rise. Is. That must have been quite, after a few years, especially, I mean, you know, you talk about in your teens and early 20s. That's, that's pretty consuming. It was, yeah. I mean, I, I would say that my trajectory in this industry was extremely unusual, but I didn't understand anything else because it was the first, my first sort of mm. uh, experience with it. So I, I, in a way, assumed that it was that way for everyone who made it, quote unquote, in this industry. Mm -hmm. um, but I know now that that's not at all the case. And there are some people that are that work for a very long time until they get their first break. And some of my favorite actors have, have struggled for a long time before finding their first kind of role that gives them national or international appeal. That's remarkable. I mean, I, I think that sort of level of drive and commitment to your craft and being able to uh, endure the sort of not being able to do the work that you want to do for a long period of time. I mean, that's extremely commendable. Um, mm. Just not my experience, I guess. Well, 25 years later, as you say, still here. New series, uh, Fear Index. We've got to talk about this. We've had a preview and we are gripped. Um, oh, good. So a psychological thriller set in this world of high finance and, and science where the two sort of collide and you play Alex Hoffman, who's a scientist, I suppose, at heart, isn't he? And he delves into his world of AI and how he invests in the financial market. Why why, why this? Because, uh, you know, lots of different projects on the table. What was it as attractive about this as a series, as a proposition? Well, first off, it was Andy Harris who produced The Crown, and they sent, he sent me this book. And I was riveted by Robert Harris's book. So I thought, and I thought it was a really interesting story because it was stuck at, it, it was as though if you read any of Robert Harris's work, he's always, uh, not always, but most of the time, kind of interested in historical fiction. He's writing things that are sort of be emblematic, sort of supposed to be emblematic of a time and place. And so it's a dramatic story within that structure that, or within that time that really illuminates that time well. And I thought he did the same thing with this. I thought this was like, what a great place to kind of get a sense of what we're going through right now with these characters. And so from that perspective, I was really drawn to the work. I, I just, within the book, you see Alex sort of looking off and kind of having a sort of a thought about a certain place in Geneva that reminds him of a time that is, well, let me just put this way. He gives you sort of a historical tour of Geneva over the course of this. And that tends to highlight what's happening to him as well. And the fact that he used Frankenstein as a template and made this sort of paranoid thriller about the powers that be and unchecked power and how the mind can be simultaneously read incorrectly from the outside as well as the inside. It's, I thought it was just a perfect confluence of paranoia and fears. Mm. I loved the book, what can I say? And so when they told me, when you know, Andy said he was gonna make it into a four part series, I thought what a great idea because I know it'd been kicking around for a while trying to become a, a two hour film, but there's just too much in it. It was necessary to bring everybody through that full journey that quickly. And four hours felt about right. 
And uh, in the end, I don't know. I haven't seen it yet. So you guys tell me. Uh, I'm going off to shoot something else. But I'm about <laughs> to go work. I'll only see the mistakes, which is a fault of mine, but I think a universal fault amongst uh, people in my mm -hmm. industry where you watch something you've just done and all you see is what you hoped would happen and not necessarily what's, you know, you're, you're not necessarily just watching it with a, with an objective viewpoint. You can only see what on the day that should have been that way and they've done it this way. And now I'm, and I don't I want to go into my next job with confidence in my own abilities. So I'm not going to watch it until after, I think. So you guys we, tell me. We it loved work? it. Yeah. Oh, good. I love anything Great. that you're always watching through two perspectives of, is he going crazy? And is he seeing this in a way that it shouldn't be seen? Or is he being set up? And where yeah. we've watched to, we are right at the crux of that, which I think is is just really compelling. I wanted to yeah. ask you, though, about there's a sort of a quote from the Fear Index where it says it's always the unknown, which is the most frightening. And Tom and I were talking about this and a lot of the guests that we've spoken to about the premise of fear. And actually, for some people, fear can be quite a driving force for them. They like the unknown and, and they want that open space and, and to step into something where they can sort of craft their own. Whereas other people, the unknown is too scary and they shy away from it. Which camp do you think you fall into? I'm very much the former. I want to jump into something when I'm afraid of it, but it doesn't always do me as much good as I hope it will. And the kind of best example of that is swimming with sharks. I'm terrified of sharks. And I went, uh, was at a friend's wedding and we had the opportunity to go swimming with these reef sharks. And uh, they put a bucket of chum down in the water and you swim down with your scuba gear on and you sit in a circle and the sharks will come out of just absolute nowhere and eat that. I mean, just like, there's nothing there. And then there's a bunch of sharks. And that just made me realize, oh, no, no, I had a right, you know, I was right to be afraid of them. And, uh, and, and they're the devil. I mean, they're wonderful creatures, but they're the devil. And uh, I don't know what to, I don't know what to make of it. I mean, I'm even worse off than I was, you know, in 1985 when I first saw Jaws. I think for that generation, I think they were, they were slightly scarred, weren't they? Yeah, I mean, we, we are. I mean, I don't know what generation you are, but we, my generation is, is screwed well, up. Well, I think for, I, actually, I say that. I think for most generations that watched it, but I think those that probably went into the cinema and saw it for the first time, I can imagine that was pretty, pretty hectic. And it's more the fact they were just came out of nowhere that you just, you might know that, <laughs> oh, there could be a shark in this waters, but to think that they just kind of then <laughs> all come in together, that's pretty terrifying. I think the whole concept of death from below yeah. is just unnatural. Yeah. Mm. supposed to be on land you know nothing comes from below well i, I hate <laughs> heights so it's the you know it's the thought of being up, up high and it's the same concept really isn't it that you haven't got that control of being on the ground i've got the uh the opposite compulsion i think i, I fear heights but as soon as i'm at somewhere that's high i have this sort of feeling that i want to jump off yeah mm. and it's not like i want to i want to plummet to my death it's just that thing that you get itchy you're like what would happen if i jumped you know <laughs> would i fly i sprout wings sprout wings it's, uh, I don't know where that comes from. It feels deep though. It feels really deeply seated. Like it was, uh, like it's almost uh, instinctive. It doesn't mm. feel like a rational sort of behavior, obviously. I guess that's how kind of fear <laughs> drives us though, isn't it? What, how we you know, fight and flight in those sort of moments. Yeah, but, but in that instance, it's more, it's neither. It's like self-destructive. It's bizarre. Yeah. 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 Well, we talk about sharks, talk about heights. Um, the other thing <laughs> was unchecked power which you've mentioned in other interviews yeah. that kind of is a, a, a fear in itself and ties into fear index. What, how how, how yeah. does that re relate to you specifically? 
Well, I mean, I'm I'm a part of the public, you know. Like I, I find that if you have people that are manipulating your environment, I would like to have a say in how they're overseen. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Mm-hmm. And we have a we we have a system right now that is becoming where I think the powerful are becoming less and less accountable in a way to the public. And that's terrifying to me when you can start to dispute the facts on the basis that a lot of people just don't believe anything they're, they're reading anymore. It's a terrifying beginning to an end of a collapse, I think, because if we don't have some consensus and we don't have some way of agreeing on how to oversee people with power, they're just going to do whatever they want and you're going to be stuck with consequences. And in this instance, this show uh, this character kind of led on by Hugo, uh, Arshar Ali's character, is pushing his AI to do things that he doesn't understand himself. And the consequences are, you know, magnified because this thing has been let loose. This AI has been let loose into the financial markets and therefore into everyone's computers, into everyone's homes. And so it has so much control. If it learns quickly enough, it can change everything and no one has any way of stopping it. And that's, to me, absolutely terrifying. No, I, I can agree with that. One of the things actually that you mentioned there was interesting and actually is referenced in, uh, I think, the second episode was about the process of the human brain versus the internet and these machines that I think was it something like 450 words could be processed in a minute by the average American um, versus billions and trillions by a computer within a second. I just thought the contrast in itself and actually trying to break that down, that that is terrifying, actually. (laughs) It is, and probably incredibly useful. Uh, Obviously very useful. But if it's not handled correctly, and and if people use it, people who are completely unscrupulous have control over it and are not being checked by people that do actually care about the general public, a lot can go wrong. So it's people, really. It's people you have to watch out for. But these tools are becoming so, uh, so powerful mm. and that, you know, in the wrong hands, they can do a lot of damage. I think like you say, it's that fear of where it goes next, because like Tom said, that kind of horrifying moment where he wheels off all of these stats around how incredibly smart machines are. You do have to think in however many years time, when do they become smart enough to run themselves, control themselves, take that forward themselves? And I think that's the bit I was like, oh, my God, this is actually petrifying like you say how that could tumble sort of oblivion really yeah i mean there's a snowball effect for sure and the rate of growth in the technology world is so quick it's exponential as they say so the curve is like that so you kind of end up before you can really get a handle on where things are going it's already surpassed where you think it is and that's what's freaky is that if something can learn that quickly and you have nothing containing it you can end up with something that has a lot of control and a lot of things at its disposal that most people wouldn't be able to uh, tell the difference if it were fake or if it were real. Or, I mean, we've, we've, we've been talking about this over the last few years as well, just the, how great deepfakes have become and how they've had to put in little signatures in there to, to make sure that things that are that you see on the internet are actually real. But how many people can read that, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and the fact that most of us could be faked out by something is terrifying. Well, I think that's what makes it such an interesting concept as a show. And as I say, we we really loved it. And 
We've got another plot twist question, though, we want to ask you um, before we we close up. Um, So we talked about sort of a plot twist moment in your life. But the other thing that we love to ask people is actually people in our lives can be hugely influential and take us in different directions. So has there been somebody in your life, either sort of personally or professionally, that has influenced you in an unexpected way um, or that people would be surprised has been an influence on you? Oh, I mean, quite a few. Um, so, um, you know, I mean, the, the simple answer is, and, and probably the one that is most relevant to me now is my wife, you know, she's English and we have three kids together and now I live in England and my life is entirely different than it was uh, <laughs> 10 years ago. Yeah, I mean, she is a catalyst for a lot of change in my life. Um, there have been other people that have changed my life dramatically as well, going back to my yeah, you know, my mother when she my mother left when I was very young, and so I ended up growing up with just my dad, and that had an enormous effect on what happened in my life. Probably for the better because my dad was a really good dad, and my mom was going through some things, so it was really it was important that I had that stability. There are so many times where a person uh, has had an enormous influence over me, but not necessarily purposefully or benevolently it's we all are just bouncing into each other and and a lot of the time you know and i try to take a fatalistic approach to life and that you only get this one chance and to try and figure it all out which used to which was like the the bane of my existence for a long time was trying to figure out why why this why that i don't know if there is an answer to that i i think it's more it's more okay this has happened now how do i where do i go from here what are my options now and the more I can think about the future, the more I can think about the landscape of what's in front of me and which direction to take and be able to enjoy the moment, the better off I am. That was a long-winded answer. I don't know why I got so <laughs> No, I like that. It was good. No, we, we like that. Any reference to yeah, family is always, always a good thing. I want to ask you, and you, you kind of touched upon it there, and it seems like from watching interviews, people kind of obsess on this, this move away from Hollywood as such. Um, it always seems to be brought up. But one of the things that's interesting is your passion for filmmaking and wanting to be independent and working with the right people. And, and, and I suppose a part of that process also in finding yourself. Do you find now that you, you know, doing the film with Guy Ritchie, you've got the Christopher Nolan project coming up. Is that a sign that maybe that you have? Well, I don't define myself based off of my work, which is nice. I define myself based off of a whole other set of criteria that are much more intense and daily occurring and uh and my my family and my age probably help in that regard if you know what i mean so the work is always it's really nice right now i'll just say that it's really nice that after 25 years i'm able to work with really fantastic people on projects that are allowing me to push things in different directions to play characters that are unlike uh from one character to the next they're nothing alike uh, to be able to experiment and have the directors push me to experiment and to have them be people like Guy Ritchie or Christopher Nolan. I fully acknowledge I'm the luckiest person alive. But my that's my work. And my personal life is the thing that really defines me and always has. And I find that my, um, well, not always. When I was younger, you know, you're making your way in the world and that's when you, you look for things that in your work that will kind of help people understand who you think you are. And that's, you know, your defining characteristic. But now more, more than ever, it's just, I hope to raise really 
interested and interesting children. And um, mm. that will be the measure of me if I can do that well. And if I can't, you know, so <laughs> that's, that's, that's that. No, that's a good outlook. Um, Josh, thank you so much for your time. We've had a great chat. Thoroughly enjoyed the series. Um, looking forward to seeing more of that. Obviously launched on the 10th Feb on, on Now and Sky. And uh, best of luck with all the future projects. Uh, looking forward to seeing it. Thanks a lot, Fran. Thanks a lot, Tom. Thank you so much. All right. Take yeah. care. Oh, that was cool. Josh Arner on Plot Twist. And if there's one thing I can take away from that, don't throw coffee, boiling hot coffee in the air in Minnesota <laughs> in the winter because it will just freeze over. It makes me think all of the times I've complained about being cold, I really don't have that many problems with, <laughs> really with heat and temperature. <laughs> no, but what a friendly, considered and interesting guy. Yeah, it was good to talk to him about the fear index. It's amazing, isn't it, that he was saying he read Robert Harris's book, and he just felt compelled to be involved in the project because the premise of the show, the character of Dr Hoffman, and we go from that and the complexities of fear in the financial markets to swimming with sharks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Covered all ends of the spectrum. That's how fear differs, I suppose, isn't it? But it does feel like with that whole premise of unchecked power, which is a big feature within the fear index, that was something that for him was quite... Uh, it's relatable, I suppose, and that he spoke about, and that's probably why this was more of an attractive thing. Unchecked power is the sort of thing that I have to actively stop myself thinking about because if I think about it too deeply, yeah. I'm going <laughs> to spiral, out. I'll never leave the house again, <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to lie under a duvet and panic. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, he had a very interesting perspective on fear, I thought. And his plot twist. We always get a good one every week, and this time I'm going to be a street artist in New York. It threw me because yeah. he said he didn't expect to be a film actor because he was on stage. So I was like, oh, great. So the, the ambition was the stage. He's like, no, I want to be an artist. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, although, I, was, I was a bit thrown by that. Although I do feel that he's probably that type of guy that whatever he turned his hand to, he probably was Yeah, he'd have been successful. hugely successful either way. Yeah, he really did. And I think we mentioned it loosely that he kind of burst on the scene, didn't he? Mm. In his like, late teens and then taking a more of a step back now. Yeah, it was nice he did to take hear, a step back. It was nice to hear him talk about that because we had read a lot about Josh Hartnett and as you say, he had taken this active step back from sort of the, those big Hollywood blockbusters that really thrust him into the limelight. And it was great when you asked the question of does he feel at peace with himself because actually what came across was that now his work doesn't define him as much as perhaps it did when he was younger. And really now it's his personal life that he really gets that sense of self-worth and peace. You know, mm. his wife raising, loved that, raising interesting and interested children. Yeah, I, I thought that's that. really a philosophy that a lot of people can take lovely. forward. It was lovely. Yeah. Um, but maybe in some ways because of that, that's why there are these new projects that, you know, the Christopher Nolan film, like things like the fear index because he has found that piece maybe there's something quite nice in that maybe something poetic so big thank you to josh harner all episodes of the fear index are now available to stream on now and next week we have an entirely different chat very different because we have the much loved comedian presenter actress emily atak oh that's gonna be good fun i can't wait to have a good time with her yeah it should be great fun well we'll see you next week see you then ciao